Oh, hello, Paul. Hi, hi. Uh, Richard's just stepped out. How, how's that cold of yours? <clears throat> oh, I feel like death warmed up to him. How's the laryngitis? Well, mustn't grumble. I'm a bit gargly. Ah, that Richard's here. Ahem. <clears throat> With the arrival of our ally, Paul, we are enough. The meeting can now begin. No, it can't. What's wrong? There is a hostile presence among us. What do you mean? On arrival here, I am told that there is unknown person among us. Not among us. Then here on the podcast, something who? Oh, oh, you mean Jack. Look, we had a chat earlier, and it will appear on the podcast, but, but don't worry, it's just us here now. Uh, suppose she sends a message through this podcast? It, it's already recorded. It can't stop our plans to conquer the galaxy, OK? Agreed. Agreed. All are agreed. It is done. Three great powers of podcasting are one. This is indeed an historic moment in the history of this podcast. We too, from Something Who, joining with the power behind Doctor Who and the podcasters, Tim. The three of us represent the greatest podcast force ever assembled. Well, since that Terence Dix episode anyway. Conquest is assured. USA, Canada, Australia, New Zealand... They will all fall before our might, but the first of them will be the United Kingdom! Splendid. <laughs> Utterly splendid. Hello and welcome to Something Who. It's another of our special episodes, this time looking at Mission to the Unknown, in light of the recently released remake from the University of Central Lancashire. Here for a chat are Paul and Tim, and as we alluded to in the sketch, we have a special podcast guest, the author and DWM columnist Jack Rayner. For logistical reasons, Jack appears in our own segment shortly. So, chaps, hello. How are you? Hey, hello. Uh, genuinely a bit throaty, but um, I'm, I shall struggle through. <laughs> it's, uh, it's splendid. I'm surprised to hear you swearing on your own podcast, Richard. Lancashire. <laughs> I thought I thought I thought you Yorkshire folk naturally avoided mentioning the name of the superior county over the Pennines. Uh, I have a dark secret in my past, or what? my family's past. Well. <laughs> Which is that two of my grandparents um, come from Lancashire, and also I spent some time on the west side of the Pennines, ultimately in Cheshire, but I did, did spend a year living in Northern Dun as well. So, ah. Well, you know, all is not lost. <laughs> You're like a reverse Michael Vaughan. I, don't think I, should stay in. <laughs> I can't stay in. I, wouldn't, I would never have known. It doesn't show. So, <laughs> Where's Giles? Well, he, he, he made some, some weak excuse about being off travelling so he couldn't make it tonight he's avoiding me I, I, how many of these have I done now this is the third the third yeah it's nearly as many as him he's avoiding me I think I've upset him <laughs> let's, let's be honest it's quite likely <laughs> <laughs> well if 
thought we got on, but things haven't been the same since I mentioned to him that I was catching a train to Exeter from Waterloo East. And I popped into the foils. I think it's a foils. Anyway, there's a small bookshop in there. And I saw his book. And it's fantastic. It's uh, The Genius Test. And when mm-hmm. I saw him about it, I was telling him how wonderful I thought it to be, but I explained that it was a, a good book for the toilet. Because it's all, in, <laughs> <laughs> it's all in very short sections. So, so wow. for my rhythms, it's just the perfectly chaptered <laughs> book. And, oh, so, and you know, occasionally I, I, you sit there too long and go a bit uh, numb-legged because you're reading through these various questions of uh, society or science, and it's absolutely fantastic. But I'm not sure he 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 took the compliment. As it was intended, uh, he even mm. he even went to Germany to get married, so he didn't have to invite me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh. so Giles and I have, have yet to record a podcast together, and I'm taking it personally. Hmm. Crikey! Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, you're the, you're uh, you're the second person to be uh, bigging him up uh, on this podcast, as as our listeners are about to hear. So yeah, so so even though he's not on the podcast, he's got uh, he's got a couple of mentions. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I believe they're friends of old, Jack and Jack and Giles. Well, Jack, if you're listening, don't don't mention <laughs> don't mention where you read his books. If it's <laughs> otherwise, those tw- that twenty yeah. odd years of friendship will just end yeah. like that. <laughs> I, 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 I mentioned it once, but I think I got away with it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, look, I've, I've been hoping to get Jack Rayner as a guest on this podcast for for quite a while. But finally, we found a subject that was a powerful enough enticement to get her on. She's well known, I think, in fan circles for enthusiasm about mission to the unknown and and the alien delegates. Mm. And there's more of that coming up. So I spoke with Jack yesterday for just over half an hour. The the audio quality is slightly lower than our usual because we recorded it um, via Skype, but it's perfectly audible, and I'm sure you'll agree that Jack is very compelling and, and you'll find it no barrier to, to hearing her. So I'm going to drop the, the recorded segment in now, and then when it's done, we'll come back and, and add our thoughts to it. I think easily the best known member of uh, fandom to grace this podcast. We've got Big Finish and BBC Books writer, uh, Doctor Who monthly contributor and original Time Team member, Jack Rayner. Hello. Hello. So so welcome to Something Who. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, you've got Giles there who's been on Only Connect and telly and things. You know, that's obviously a bit best known fandom person. Well, yes, yeah. I mean, but let's not pick him up, otherwise he might hear this and uh, you know <laughs> get too big ahead. And, and and we have we have Paul, who's um, who's also a big Finnish writer. So yeah, I mean, it's really just me who's a complete nobody. But very good. Okay. So as, as well as as redressing the fact that that um, so far our podcasts have been entirely male, so that's uh, it's, it's good to get um, a different point of view. Also, we've asked you on particularly to talk about Mission to the Unknown. Yes, I love it because sort of specialised area of yours. Yeah, <laughs> and the remake of that that was released last week. Yeah. So so maybe we could start with you talking about um, how you first came across Mission to the Unknown. Uh, oh dear. I mean, I just don't know because I've been a Doctor Who fan for, you know, 
donkey's years now back to childhood and you just pick up things as you go along you know mm. you start reading Doctor Who magazine reading the targets etc etc and sort of along the way um you just absorb lots of things and missing episodes was just one of those things that just held so much fascination for me I love history if anyone's listened to any of my big finish or read any of my books you you know I do go into history a lot mm-hmm. and that's always been the appeal of you know delving into things to try and find out solutions to mysteries and once I started to hear about Doctor Who missing episodes it's just oh god I so want to know what they were about and the mm. thing about Mission to the Unknown is of course it's one of only three stories that we have absolutely no footage of whatsoever mm-hmm. but we have these photos which are just oh, these strange monstery things and that's another thing that I just so love about 60s Doctor Who particularly the Hartnell era it's got this sort of innocence alongside huge imagination. They just create these creatures of the future. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know more about them. So I couldn't tell you at what point it turned from, you know, just a sort of, oh, I've seen a few pictures of these things. I think it was probably not. Not until we sort of got into the 1990s mm. that I started to f- to figure out um, that there were things that we had no record of, things that we just didn't know at all. You sort of think, well, we've got the scripts for everything. We've got the soundtracks for everything. So pretty much we must know everything. And we really, really don't. Mm. And there was a point where Doctor Who magazine printed a picture of salation the um second salation or potentially third salation um and i was that was just so exciting it was so exciting so yeah yeah, the actual question about when i first became aware of missions the unknown i don't know it was just a name that you heard somewhere along the line and as you get older and um, we get more and more background knowledge of the show coming out because you know when I was was a kid there was you know the making of Doctor Who by Terence Dix and Malcolm yes. Hulk and yeah. you had the Peter Haining books mm-hmm. and all of it was new to you um, because you didn't have access to UK Gold Repeats or VHS no. anything like that so absolutely everything felt like a missing episode and somewhere along the line things started to split into missing episodes that are actually missing and missing episodes that are out there somewhere and you know wouldn't it be amazing if one day you could actually see one to having a shelf full of dvds so yeah that's a very very long way of saying (laughs) um i don't know uh, the answer to your question sorry yeah. no it's fine um, I mean uh, <laughs> indeed I think probably for me it was the 10th anniversary Radio Times special 
Yes. I, I, I think I, I got a chance to look at a friend's one of those in the mid to late 70s, I think, and that probably would be the first time I saw a list of stories, be it, be it uh, probably tied with, with um, the making of Doctor Who, as you mentioned. But neither mm. of those really gave very much uh, of an idea about the, what the story was about. And, of course, the Target book didn't come out until quite late. It wasn't out until I had temporarily stopped being a Doctor Who fan. Um, I had the little gaps sort of coming up to coming up to GCSEs until I got into university where I was not a Doctor Who fan at all and I missed out this big chunk, particularly where all the rare Target books came out. So I didn't have any of the rare Target <laughs> books. Yeah, that was... So it wasn't a book that I read hmm. when I was a kid. No, so... Yeah, which, which sort of added to the mystique, didn't it, of a, of a missing story. There wasn't even the target to uh, mm-hmm. to help us work out what was going on. And the soundtrack, I'm trying to think, I, I, I got the CD version of that when that came out, which was probably about the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that was a long time into, into, into my being a fan. So, yeah, it's been coming back to us in pieces and very slowly, I think. Yes, yeah, absolutely. This could be the closest we ever get this this remake yeah and to be honest i was not expecting to be that worried about it mm-hmm. like i've said missing episodes for me is about the mysteries yeah so you know if if mission to the unknown had existed all these years as in you know we had a viewing copy i think i would have probably counted it as a favourite, I would imagine, because as I say, I have a bit of a thing about these Hartnell monsters and the whole future as seen through the prism of uh, 1960s television. Yeah. You know, I still adore the Ark yeah. and various other ones which exist, um, you know, Chase, all sorts which have things in them, and I still absolutely love them. And I think that Mission to the Unknown would have ranked alongside them. Yeah. But I think possibly wouldn't be quite so really, really deeply into it if it wasn't for the mystery aspect. Mm. So having somebody recreate it, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's nice. I'd like to see it. and That's great fun. But it's not solving any mysteries for me because yeah. it's not it's it's um, building on things which I've already seen, like the camera script and the photos Yes. Yeah. But perhaps, to some extent, the actual making of it does actually break through. I mean, I'm trying to think. So it, it, it will only build on what we already know about it, but perhaps we discover something mm. new about it by seeing it, even though it is just built on what we already know. Yes. And it also actually it prompts you to ask questions which you possibly hadn't i mean there's a bit where the delegates were all sort of supposed to sign something and and you think god how on um how on earth would that have been done when most of them don't have any arms mm. <laughs> i mean probably my absolute tiny favorite moment um in the recreation was central otherwise mr christmas tree yeah <laughs> there's bits where they're just lines given to a planetary and so we don't know 
exactly who says which little bit but they yeah he has this line in the new one and he does a little nod of his head when he's talking mm-hmm. i'm thinking oh wow i wonder if that's what it was like when central was talking did he sort of wobble his head up and down you know <laughs> <laughs> like that and, and uh, you know it's a question i hadn't fully asked myself hmm. and possibly no one else in the world had asked themselves that question of did central yes. waggle his head up and, um, and oh i just love that little bit um and yeah <laughs> so you're at right um it doesn't well it can't really answer any huge questions it can point us in the direction of things which would be really interesting to know but yes i did i just i did love it i absolutely loved it mark corey uh, the actor, I think his name is Marco. Yeah. Um, oh, he was brilliant. <laughs> he was brilliant. I, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. Yeah. I had actually, I'm friends with Mark Wright, who works for Doctor Who magazine uh-huh. quite a lot. Um, you know, does loads of other writing. We're very good friends. And um, he texted me and said, you know, this is top secret, but you'll never guess where I am. And he. <laughs> was there following it yeah. um for the doctor who magazine so i kept getting these little snippets of you know i've just seen this and i've just seen this and i've just seen this and um you know that that uh, did wet my appetite considerably if people haven't read mark's articles about uh, the making of it they really should hmm. um in doctor who magazine a few months ago there is the little making of video that's been put up on youtube as well and that was absolutely lovely but i would have liked it to have been about 17 times longer (laughs) yeah i just really wanted to know how they made decisions yeah for the costumes and the props and the voices and and you know how much did they did they listen to the Oh, I tell you, this is this is another thing which which just shows. I watched the recreation yeah. and played the soundtrack of the original, so I could right, yes. see the differences and the human actors. Wow, mm. you know, they just did not absolute copies of, but they just had the voices so right. They didn't mm. go into sixties parody. Hmm. which it would be very easy to do, you know, the BBC RP type thing. But they didn't. I mean, when I watched watched it for the first time, I actually spent the first couple of minutes thinking, hang on, are they actually lip syncing to the (laughs) soundtrack? You know, it was that close. Yes. But yeah, I would have really liked to have seen a a really 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 long making of showing you know how they decided how to make the costumes yeah um and i uh, i really don't want to be picky or negative but you know there's some of the delegates costumes which aren't quite as similar to the originals but you know they're so close that it would be uh, incredibly churlish to criticize them for that but I wanted to know, you know, how they decided on oh, what materials to use. You know, was it all things that they could have had in the 60s? And that's just because, you know, it's just something I I would love to go into real depth about. And, and you know, probably not many people would watch a seven hour 
uh, making of. But um, yeah, really, the, the job they did was was just fabulous. And so from going from well, it's not going to answer any questions for me, so I'm not that bothered. I went to, oh, God, I want to watch this 17 times in a row now, <laughs> which I didn't. So my children were with me and, and you know, they uh, they were content with one view through. But, yes, uh, no. yes uh, I, I thought perhaps it might have benefited slightly from a bit of uh, 1960s fuzz or, or, or slightly degraded tape. So there were one or two bits where you could almost see too much because... Uh, you know, it was really sharp, but I, but I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, I think it was re- both really faithful and quite magical. I'm, uh, I mean, I know we've we've had this year where we haven't had any any new Doctor Who to watch, and I, I found it actually quite exciting sitting down and, and being able to watch this and, and get something of a window back into 1965 and, and, and into what it would have been like like to see that first time through. Absolutely, I couldn't tell you what book this is in so it's going to be a really rubbish recommendation but um the writer ian potter did an absolutely astonishing article about how things were filmed in 1960 television Mm -hmm. um was really eye-opening for me because it it wasn't something i knew a lot about and again reading uh mark's mark wright's articles in doctor who magazine saying you know how much they wanted to act like it was they were making 1960s television again you know i would have just liked to know in exact tiny detail you know how they followed that through but um from what i can see you know they they were incredibly authentic as far as they could be within um what resources they had Hmm. What's what started me talking about that? Did you ask me a question? <laughs> I, I don't think I did actually, because I, I, I was just saying that, that I thought it was it was a fascinating to get a glimpse back into what it might have been like to see the original. I suppose in one or two examples, I mean, for instance, the Dalek voices, the extant recording, it, it's it's one of those ones where the modulation's down a little bit and it doesn't quite mm-hmm. sound the way we remember Daleks in our heads, um, unless of course I've, I've remembered them wrong. No, I think Nick Briggs actually addressed that, but I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something about how there was possibly, uh, during the recording, things were up and down with the, the modulation, and so he didn't recreate that exactly, but he did try to do sort of impressions of Peter Hawkins or whoever was doing the voices, but the actual way they were treated yes. wasn't exactly as it was for mission to the unknown um so again he was obviously doing it as authentic as possible but through the filter of how things are Hmm. are done practically yeah they the the dalek voices don't sound i absolutely identical to the soundtrack but you know they they fit they fit very well so and, and, and to my ears, I think that what Nick has done with that is to make it more like the the, the Daleks we imagine rather than, than perhaps the Daleks as they were. I mean, in, mm. in my in my own head as, as as a boy and then growing up, the you know the Daleks were a real menace. And then sometimes when you saw them on screen, you know, I, either the later uh, appearances on the original series or the the, the black and white ones repeated, they didn't quite mm. live up to the the memories we had of them. But those voices yeah. sound sound really menacing to me absolutely 
So um, I guess coming back to the delegates, there's really only Malfa, is it, who has a speaking part? Yeah, he's the main speaking yeah, role. And, and in, in, this, in this one, something of a Lancastrian accent, I think. Yes. <laughs> and, and perhaps perhaps a little bit less treatment on that. I mean, in, in the, on the soundtrack, it sounded to me like they'd gone for more of a, a modulated alien-type tone. Yes, I think you're probably right. But uh, no, I mean, it, it's, it absolutely worked. Hmm. And I think, like we said, for the, the human actors there was always a danger of going into parody, which they did not do. And it's the same for the monsters. There's got to be that line between trying to imitate, which goes to parody, and the person actually acting. Mm. So, as you say, a a slight accent for, for Malfa, which was not there in the original, but, you know, the guy was acting the part rather than just, uh, you know, being sort of a spitting image type, over-the-top malfa as on soundtrack. So, you know, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that that's absolutely fine. Hmm. So has this, this whetted your appetite, maybe, for, for seeing more of um, a Dalek's master plan, if ever that were feasible? Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Although, how they would make um, decisions there... Yeah on what to do i i really don't know but yeah i mean wouldn't that be wouldn't that be such fun that yeah. would just be because uh, oh. they, they they changed just about every time they appeared didn't they the aliens something like that they they did yes and it's very contentious and confusing as to who's who we have things on paperwork um and then we have things which are on screen and you've got Oh, uh, the duvet-headed guy in Mission to the Unknown, mm-hmm. who in the remake had a little moustache, which was um, which was quite a fun touch. Yeah. Uh, and he never appears again, uh, as far as we know, uh, in Dalek Master Plan. But he is in the paperwork. Uh, I think it's the either costume or makeup. He is listed as Trantis. Right. When you get to Dalek Master Plan. You have a character played by Roy Evans called Trantis. Yeah. But he looks like the guy from Mission to the Unknown who's got the spikes on his face, yeah. but he doesn't have the spikes on his face. So you would imagine that they were supposed to be the same person, but they've changed names. It's almost impossible to describe, uh, really without dying yourself up in complete knots. But yes, for almost every appearance, from mission to early master plan and middle master plan, yeah. delegates have changed appearance or changed names. New ones have appeared who may have the same names as earlier ones. You've got your Christmas tree, which we're almost certain uh, goes with the name Centriol, except mm-hmm. that name is never on screen. <laughs> So, you know, and and not written in the dialogue. We just happen to know that in the script it it lists, you know, the names of them. And that's one. And by process of elimination, that's the Christmas tree. Um, He never appears again. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's sort of the Daleks fault. Really, you know, they invited all these people (laughs) to insist on photo IDs. So, you know, anyone turned up. 
no oh, name yeah, tags, no, no, no nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's very complicated, but it's also fun hmm. to try and work out who is who. Sure. The, the Christmas tree costume probably, you know, went back into storage or uh, was taken to pieces and they couldn't be bothered or couldn't find the bits for master plan. And so they, you know, stuck a body stocking on someone else mm. and gave it a different name. But it, yeah, it was only four weeks, wasn't it? It, it, the, 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 it was the myth makers and then back into master plan from Mission to Unknown. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So it makes you wonder they could have lost so much in such a short space of time. I know. I, my my son asked me this this very morning. He said, um, "If they release that on DVD, meaning the reconstruction, yeah. um, would you put it on the shelf next to Dalek Master Plan or before Myth Makers?" <laughs> and I was like, "Before Myth Makers, of course. Before clicking that, I don't have a Myth Makers DVD on the shelf, alas. But if I did." Obviously, it will go before that. Yes. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there was. Oh, sorry. Can you hear that meowing? Yeah, yeah. Just, is that okay? Every podcast should have a cat. <laughs> She's just jumped up next to me. So yes, I think really because Mission to the Unknown, and then there was a big gap for Myth Makers, and then Dalek's Master Plan. You can sort of excuse there being uh, differences, but then you've got the differences between the early episodes of Master Plan yeah. and the later ones, where the actual extras weren't available <laughs> you know don't quite know why mm. we don't know but they changed things just from week to week there so yes and, and that's i suppose that quite an important source is uh, episode two of, of master plan that came yes. back what about 15 years ago and it's, it's quite a different setup in that isn't it there's, there's, there's a big semi-circular desk that they're all behind rather mm -hmm. than this this uh, map that they've got in mission yes Oh, in the in the camera script for Mission to the Unknown, it says each of the delegates or planetarians has a lectern with their name on. Right. Which, as far as we know, it doesn't appear in any of the photos. There are no names in any of the photos. So I would imagine that that didn't happen. It was just, uh, oh, this would be nice, but it didn't happen. Hmm. And that was an interesting thing in the remake, because if they're going directly from the camera script they should have had lectins with names on but they didn't they hmm. basically recreated the photos which i would say is the right call because that is probably what was on screen yeah but yes uh you just say the word delegates and, and i just <laughs> go off on one for 20 minutes this is this is absolute gold <laughs> I mean, the only other thing, I guess, that we that we could have hoped to see was a grouping of, of delegates with Verity Lambert. That's the other famous photo from it. Although, uh, quite how we'd have explained that in the in the story, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but isn't isn't that one of those amazing things? Because if Verity Lambert had not been leaving, almost certainly we wouldn't have these photos because mm. that's you know they had the photo call with, with her. Yeah. And we would not have have had all these pictures. I I would you know think almost certainly so we're incredibly lucky for mission to the unknown because it is just this one tiny little obscure episode with no doctor uh, no companions and yeah if verity lambert hadn't been leaving we would still almost certainly you know just not know what any of these delegates look like at all mm. whoa that would be very sad mm. very sad indeed but yeah with episode two, uh, Day of Armageddon coming back, 
that overturned everything. Yeah. Because up to that point, I think people thought, you know, the Christmas tree was in Dalek Master Plan. We suddenly discover he isn't. Hmm. Therefore, we rearrange the names and figure out that, oh, he's Centriel because he's the one that doesn't appear later and, you know, things like that. There was, they showed a clip on, I think, the six o'clock news with Mavic Chen. And then it cut to about half a second of Zephon coming down a slope. Oh, yes. It was like, oh, my God, that was a delicate mess. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we sort of knew what Zephon looked like because we've got that one shot of him menacing Mavic Chen. But this was him moving and with clothes on and, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, they sh- the news, they focused on the Daleks and, you know, we knew what the Daleks looked like. <laughs> yeah. um, and we had to wait to see the delegates. And, yeah, I think the first thing was possibly BBC Online putting it up as a photo book. And you suddenly saw all these, myself and all the many other delegate scholars in Doctor Who fandom, <laughs> suddenly realised we had to tear up most of our research. But, yeah, that was amazing. That really was. Um, of all episodes uh, to come back, that is very possibly the one that gave us so much new information Hmm. yeah oh just so exciting so exciting i'm yeah. still excited now <laughs> well you've only had 15 years so it's it's perfectly understandable exactly. um, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it probably spent uh the previous 15 years in um uh you know doing the rounds of, uh, of various offices in the, in the bbc oh. and itv so oh. yeah. <laughs> I, I used to work at bbc worldwide uh, oh, at yeah. one point and very occasionally i got sent down to the ec photo library and tv center to pick out something for a dvd cover or a book cover for reference yeah and it never occurred to me it just never occurred to me to say could i go through absolutely everything please that would be lovely Hmm. you know because i was very much like oh it's tv center and this is all big and important and you know i'll just go in there eventually because the photo library it was a bit like Castrovalva. um <laughs> i never got there the same way twice and usually had to ask about six people along the way wow but it was oh wow you know oh I, you're, you're letting me look in this folder yes i'll have that one please could you do me a copy and then later you know with my whole missing photos missing episodes thing and it turned out the the picture of Cassandra from the Myth Makers had been in the photo library all along. <laughs> Just, you know, I could have found that. I could have found a picture of Cassandra. But I was I was too nervous to to <laughs> to just go through all the, the racks and all the folders. Mm. I really, really, really wasted my opportunities when I was at BBC Worldwide. They would probably have let me go to Caversham if I'd asked and go through all the files there. You know, I could say, yes, I'm, I'm working on Doctor releases, so it's an official reason I could go. Yeah. And they would probably have said yes. Yeah. Did I ever think of trying that? No. I was a rubbish Doctor Who fan. Absolutely rubbish. Very ashamed of myself in retrospect. Well, look, I mean, we've all we've all wasted opportunities. I, I, I managed to spend uh, three years as an undergraduate in Cambridge without ever finding out where the uh, Footlights Club was, for instance. So, was... you know, it, 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 it's, it's very easy just to kind of, you know, get get on and do the thing that you that you think you're supposed to be doing and, and not uh, not explore to either side. 
Absolutely. Thank you. It makes me feel very slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> but only very slightly. <laughs> mm. So we might still hold out hope, I suppose, that the uh, the episode of Mission to the Unknown, which I think last uh, known abode was um, Singapore, might possibly have found its way into Africa or somewhere else and, and, and uh, you know, still be somewhere waiting to be found. I mean, it, it seems increasingly unlikely now with time, but you never know. We've got to hold out a little bit of hope. Absolutely. I mean, who would have dreamt we'd have got Enemy of the World and nearly all of Web of Fear back, you know, absolutely seemed impossible but it happened so mm. yeah let's let's not give up hope either that or or, um, or damien chanahan's bond store in in sydney which i suppose is another uh one that's been held out tantalizingly for us the last few years without without any resolution yeah i actually only heard of that the other day right. um i i don't really sort of follow stuff on missing episodes because i find it incredibly depressing yes yeah, it's, it's very very sensible very sensible <laughs> there's a lot of uh, of detours and dark alleys yeah but no the the, the lovely toby haydoke was telling me about that the other day because we, oh, right. we were talking about mission to the unknown and it was like oh you mean there's enough there there is cause for hope oh and i didn't <laughs> know and now i'm gonna be hoping again <laughs> Oh, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you've you've been fantastic, and and you've you've stayed uh, longer than, than than I dared hope. So so thanks for all of that. I'm I'm sorry, actually. It it really is just if people mention delegates to me, I just run on, and you'll probably find that most of this isn't usable. So just you know, chop out tiny little bits that that are okay, and. Uh, yeah, <laughs> don't worry. I find it extraordinarily unlikely that people wouldn't want to listen to information about delegates for hours on end. So, uh, well, you uh, have a point there, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Most, yeah. Most sensible people would like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, th- th- thanks, thanks very much. Uh, it, That's okay. It's been great, and and if things align, it would be it'd be great to have you on again. But but uh, this has been it's been fantastic. Thank you. So I gather you two have listened to the uh, to the recorded section. Yes, yes. how marvellous. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, um, yes, I mean, it's slightly um, raised the bar for our, <laughs> for our ramblings. It's, yeah, I, I did think we'd better look to our laurels after If only, uh, after if only by virtue of unbridled enthusiasm. <laughs> it was, yeah, a, a brilliant, a brilliant listen. Thank you, Jack, and, and, and thank you, Richard. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd be delighted, as I said on the piece, to have her back, although I rather feel that if anyone else hears that, uh, we'll, we'll be outbid by some of the other podcasts. But anyway, let's see. So I, the first thing I wanted to, to do was to ask you what your experience had been of Mission to the Unknown over the years and, and, and how you'd come across it. Go on, Paul. I think I've said before how the um, Doctor Who programme guide, was that about 1981? Uh, loomed large in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Had a big influence on me even though it was just lots of lists and facts and things, because, you know, I'm a slightly odd, odd person <laughs> then as now. And I loved particularly the, the charts at the beginning with the, just the pure list of episodes, stories with a number of episodes against them. Mm-hmm. I loved the little patterns those, those made us, the completely random lengths of stories in, 
in the first couple of seasons. Yeah. Then the way it settles down to four-parters, by the time get to mm. season three, with those two strange exceptions, a massive bulge of the Daleks' master plan, and the odd little you can, microscopic mission, one-parter, Mission to the Unknown. And that's... It, so, <laughs> without even thinking about what the story was about, I was just entranced by the idea of this complete and utter oddity. Mm. As you as you mentioned with Jack, uh, there weren't many other ways to experience the story apart from that very brief paragraph. You couldn't hear it, you couldn't read a, the script or a novelization or or anything for at least another couple of decades. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering if, if even... Doc Two Monthly had covered it as an archive, but I couldn't see a reference to it before about two hundred and odd. What do, I mean, Doctor Weekly went through and did each story uh, in turn. Yes. In the yes, did it get as far uh, as, as season three? I remember. <laughs> I remember the Celestial Toymaker issue very clearly. So they so they must have done. Must have I don't done. know. I don't know. Okay. They could have folded it in with Dalek's Master Plan. I don't know. Hmm. See, our research has failed already. We're only a couple of minutes in. <laughs> Somebody rush off to the to the attic and check. <laughs> no, I'm afraid we're not doing that. Oh, okay. Tim, <laughs> what are your first memories of the existence, stroke non-existence of Mission to the Unknown? Uh, well, I'm a little bit younger than you, Paul. Um, <laughs> I'm 30 or 40 years younger than Richard, and so the I've just looked up when the when the novelization came out, and it was 1989, 1990, 1989. Right. So I was in a phase of being carted round various northern towns by my parents, going mm-hmm. to flea markets and the like. They were trying to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they were doing? Oh, sorry. No, they weren't. They were being lovely and parenting okay. and, and taking me round to f- a couple of flea markets which had Doctor Who stalls on. So it was around that time that I would have started investing in the Target novels rather than buying one or two as they came out in the shops. So about 10 years old, and I bought uh, Mission to the Unknown and The Mutation of Time, the two-part John Peel novelization, a flea uh-huh. market in... Um, in Bolton called Bygone Days I think it was called and uh, this is the chap who went alright Mash um, you interested in the missing episodes and mm. I said yeah why what, what he said <laughs> and he said he didn't have a sort of uh, London Spiv accent that was a bit of my <laughs> it would have been a Northern Spiv a, a Bolton Spiv accent alright though <laughs> <laughs> alright la and he offered to give me all of the missing episodes on VHS for, mm. I think it was around £200. And um, <laughs> I, got, I just got dragged out so <laughs> to be told, you're not having them. Anyway, there were probably um, audios or something, but they're on VHS, I don't know. Oh, he was a con man. So th- yeah. anyway, yes, it, I remember distinctly buying, it must have been about 1990, 91, buying that two-part. And it's about the same time as that that I started really getting to grips with the the program lists and then became aware of the the one part standalone that looked a bit different to the rest of Dalek's master plan and felt a bit weird and was in mm. a different production block so had yeah. different continuity things going on so I've all, uh, so initially I I sort of I wasn't very fond of it at all and over the years, as, having listened to it two, three, four, ten times, I've I've grown 
fonder of it, shall we mm. say. I'm just wondering if you'd ever told that anecdote to Richard Molesworth. I mean, it, it could take Wiped Edition 3 in a very different direction. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I, I tried to make some inquiries about the guy, but I traced him back to his, his mother's house <laughs> about about 30 miles west, and all all that I was told was he'd, he'd gone off to be a crane operator on the <laughs> oil rigs or something. <laughs> so I don't know what came of him. He, he's probably very happy manoeuvring round things on oil rigs. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. <laughs> That's all right. I completely thrown my... Um, my train of thought what was i saying it was something along the lines of uh you'd listen to it three or four or seven yes times. yes and, and never particularly fondly but i i really rather enjoy it the last few times i've listened to it with a few exceptions although i sort of laugh along with the sillinesses rather than worry about them i've been worrying about one thing for a few days since since watching the recon the very splendid recon for instance these are the things I worry about. Mm-hmm. What was the average awareness of the child in the UK? You were a bit too old at the time, Richard, so you won't be able to remember. Of James Bond. Mm. I've done a little bit of Google fooing, and yeah. the first Bond film didn't appear on TV mm-hmm. until the early 70s. And it, it was Goldfinger off from Russia with Love. Yeah. So I just wonder how... And <coughs> were go, they... on, go, on, uh, go on, Paul. Would you think they were X-rated or adult-rated? I don't know. Cinema, the cinema, they, would they? They, they were no. pretty gritty. I think, I think if my dad's anything to go by, they would have been reading them if they were allowed to smuggle the books past their parents. Yeah. You're a child who's interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. Which you I, might I, think... I just, I, I just worry about how blatant that line is where Corey, who is very much James Bond, he isn't so much in the remake, he, he's got a different energy, the character, but the D'Souza... Mark Corey mm. is very much James Bond. He's just killing people without thinking about it. He's got that mm. sort of <laughs> whiskey and cigar voice, hasn't he? And he, yeah. he he's um he hands his card over to Lowry and Lowry says license to kill. I've been worrying <laughs> <laughs> about how blatant that line would have been and therefore mm. how cheap it would have been or what rather would it have been perhaps a slightly more sophisticated nod than we're thinking think, about. I don't know. I mean, this might be a time to bring in the fact that it's entirely possible Dennis Spooner, the script editor, um, contributed to the script. Although we often think of it as the archetypal Terry Nation story, all mm-hmm. of his obsessions condensed down into 25 minutes. Mm. I was reading, I'm going to refer to uh, Tatwood's About Time here for the first of many occasions. <laughs> he, he, su- he suggests that you can see some of Dennis Spooner's fingerprints. It make, makes me wonder if perhaps Dennis Spooner got the script in, saw exactly what Terry was going for, and maybe put in some more knowing winks, like hmm. the inclusion of that line. I don't know. I, it smacks to me of a typical cheap, lazy Terry Nation <laughs> trope that he'd, he'd shove in there, along with the man-eating plants, or, well, you know, the the carnivorous plants anyway for the second Dalek story running because um, <laughs> yes. previously in the chase it was the first so it just struck me as lazy but I've, I've been trying to find some forgiveness in there thinking was mm. it a more sophisticated nod because the children of 1965 may not have been as 
aware of that line mm. as we are, and we're thoroughly saturated with it. I don't know. Mm. Uh, well, it matters not. But we've had a good ten minutes on that one. Line. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah. we we fail to ask anybody, uh, so we haven't done our <laughs> we failed yes. our research. If yes. if if you're getting on in years, listener, please do do tweet us or get in touch by any other means and tell us whether whether the James Bond references would have meant anything to you or not. And then we'll know. We won't put it into a future edition. We'll just file it away. <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the, the other silliness, and it is a silliness in there, which I laugh along with, but I've always thought was just plain stupid, was you have the Daleks and the alien delegates discussing how they will conquer the universe and the solar system and mm. so on and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> Everything between those two extremes. Yes. Yeah, they mix up their um, terminology yeah. a little bit. But then they are so excited about their plan that they decide to tell <laughs> whoever may be around <laughs> on Kemble through their loudspeaker system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, yeah. You know, <laughs> Plaid Life of Kemble, we have an announcement, <laughs> which Mark Corey then then hears. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit shameless, isn't it? I mean, at least normally people have the grace to have um, <clears throat> our heroes just accidentally happening to be standing outside in a, a, an open window or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, <this> is, <laughs> but I guess in 25 minutes you can't afford to set up situations as complex as that. Yeah. Mm. So even uh, even eavesdropping is too sophisticated for this. Mm. So they're the little bits that, that I yeah. sort of used to worry me a lot more than they did. I mean, I mean, this is the 1960s, so perhaps they they, they just projected their voices rather more <laughs> impressively in those days. Yeah. yeah, indeed. But yeah, I I do enjoy it. It, it. Those three little sillinesses aside, I think it's a, a great little adventure in 25 minutes. It's coherent. It 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 sets the scene. It's an odd place by virtue of where it was in the production block. I think I think you and Jack talked about it uh, in that it's it, it it comes five episodes in. Hmm to the season but that was just by virtue of the loss of the planet of giants episode yeah and so it would have been better at the end of the previous season or at the start of uh, season three but it, that doesn't worry me i think i think it's a, a good little story good performances good cast the closest i can find to an explanation for why it's positioned where it is is because the the regulars contracts are up at exactly that point and they were due a holiday i don't know if that's true or not but um it sounds like the sort of thing that might might make sense. Hmm. Yeah, well, they had the spare episode to play with. But yeah, yeah, you, it, I think it probably let them... Yeah, they would do a holiday, perhaps, yeah. Hmm. Actually, yeah. the contract thing can't be true, can it? Hmm. Because, of course, Maureen O'Brien carries on for another four, and then her contract's up. Hmm. So, hmm. 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 So tell me, Paul, what else have you ripped shamelessly out of the About Time paperback? Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you know? Well, I'll just throw in a random fact. I've got nothing else to say on the subject of Dennis Spooner's possible contributions, but apparently he wrote an episode of Fireball XL5, which was set on the planet, the jungle planet Kemble. Oh, right. Ah, so, uh, yes, um, and they, uh, Kemble rather than Kembel. Yeah, so yeah. although most of the names are traditional Terry Nation hmm. obsessions, they sound very nation-y, perhaps he, you know, perhaps he fiddled with one or two of them. Hmm. Again, something I'd not spotted, which should have been perfectly obvious is that <laughs> the number seven crops up so much in Terry Nation's work and not just Blake seven of course mm. there's a there's a semi-sequel to this and the Daleks master plan the script he wrote for a potential Dalek spin-off 
the, the first episode of which is called The Destroyers. Yes. Big Finish, yeah. Big Finish have produced it. And that features a robot called Mark Seven. So it's interesting that um, this James Bond theme may, may have carried on beyond just the stylings of Mark, Mark yeah, Corbin. Yeah. There's no nonsense approach. Mm. And Sarah Kingdom um, survives into the, the Destroyers. I don't think anyone's looked into it closely enough to... Uh, it's possible it was set before this, but of course it wasn't supposed to matter. It wasn't for Doctor Who. It was supposed to be mm. a pilot for taking the Daleks off into their own world. Well, so. yeah, that was one of my thoughts on watching the um, the the recon the other day. In that, I don't know if you two have seen in those Terry Nation Dalek Army, yeah, Terry Nation yeah. Army uh, videos, which are absolutely glorious. Yes, yes. The, the 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 level of research in them is certainly greater than ours. It's almost comedic. The level of research, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. It's almost a parody of of of, of Richard Bignall. In that, it, yes. <laughs> it go, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I found them absolutely glorious to watch. Yeah. Abso- I I would pay for a DVD copy of them. But yeah. but they they talked about the destroyers and the the Terry Nation project, which nearly came to to be. Mm-hmm. Although in varying degrees as to how much you read them, read the rhetoric as they try to blackmail the BBC into yeah. into whatever, but I had that very much in mind when I watched the recon, and it did seem like a bit of a, uh, well, it was very much a, a testing ground for this uh, secret agent in space thing, and it made it to the annuals, the Dalek annuals, and all sorts of stuff. So it was, mm. uh, I'm not quite sure of the timeline of its production, but it's very much part of Terry Nation's thoughts about launching this this thing in America. Uh, but yes, listeners, if you've not watched the Terry Nation army videos, I'm, I'm sure most of you have, uh, but they are an absolute celebration. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty in the pink, actually, as a fan of Classic Who this year. Yeah. I think we've been absolutely spoiled rotten. We've got, we've had this, uh, latterly this um, mission to the unknown. We've yeah. had the Terry Nation Army videos, another brilliant fan production. And then I'm currently wallowing in <laughs> the Trial of a Time Lord oh, yes. uh, box set. I'm really savouring it and, and enjoying all the extras, old and new. And I think it's, I think it's a wonderful time to be a, a classic yeah. Doctor Who fan. I this really do. I feel very lucky. An unexpected touched. bonus this episode, isn't it? Yes, I'm, it's much um, much more interesting than I was expecting it to be, and that's not because I didn't have faith in the people behind it, but I've just never been particularly en- enamoured by Mission to the Unknown. I didn't go back and check, but we did a whole um, podcast ne- on Series Three, didn't we, Tim? Mm. And I think I put it quite low because I just didn't really count it. I didn't really care. Yeah, and I've but I've enjoyed it more with every successive version, and it is <laughs> hilarious to me that this strange oddity from that season which in it is in itself represented to the extent that it is on such a variety of mismatched formats yes, yeah. but this one story sums all that up yeah. there's a re there are no photographs the, the loose kind of recon is entirely made of photo composites that's a labor of love yeah. taking pictures of the actors from other roles and dressing them up in space suits and then moving around space and suits uh, from the Sontaran experiment are they <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean so that you know that is a heroic effort but it didn't really bring the story to life for me. Mm. Um, then Ian Levine's cartoon version, which uh, I was lucky enough to grab a copy of from you, well, wherever it was leaked to. Sorry, Ian. Uh, which, have, have either of you seen that? I mean, that, Yes, it's brilliant. Yes, it's, that, um, Looking back at it again, I was in, the, the animation's very almost, almost 
on a par with what we're getting officially now. It's um, a similar style. Well, mm. I, I prefer it, to be honest. I, th- I, I really, really like it. It's the definitive version for me and will remain the definitive version mm. um, because, it has the, because it has the audio. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that added an extra layer. The, the movement brings it to life. And then this, wow. Yes, suddenly I understand. Suddenly I can see it. And um, it's got enough of the atmosphere of the original because how could it fail to? I mean, to oh well, so sorry, it could have failed to, because mm. it isn't easy to conjure up that sixties atmosphere, and it's not. It's a com- composite of a sixties atmosphere and something that was dated even in the sixties. I mean, if you think about, mm. if you just look at the soundtrack, I was just going to say yes. the soundtrack, the sound yeah. effects, the music. Yeah. It's the stuff of melodrama. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a it's a combination of James yeah. Bond and and. Um, I don't know, uh, it's, it's like cinema melodrama. You remember the Robinson Crusoe kind of black and white thing from about 1930? They used to, well, sorry, I don't know why I'm saying this because you won't remember it because you're, so, you're, you're younger than me, but <laughs> every school holidays they used to bung this thing on and it was it had a very similar kind of sounding you know, music and soundtrack to that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I, I think I'm just about old enough to remember Flash them showing the proper thing, yeah, yeah. Flash Gordon yeah, yeah. and things on Saturday mornings. Larry Buster Crab. Yes, this has got one foot in that camp as well, hasn't it? Mm. In fact, it's got more. It's got more than a foot. It's just dipping a couple of toes into James Bond. It is mostly melodrama, and it's mostly serial melodrama, which is what we get with Dalek's Master Plan. It's just this strange four-week interregnum in ancient Greece, which is the oddity. Mm. Mm. May I make a slight diversion? Mm? Yeah. I watched yesterday, or at some point over the weekend, I watched the Mind Warp extras, and there's a 2009 interview with Brian Blessed on there. And, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> at one point, he said that uh, he met the Queen, and the Queen has asked Brian Blessed to say, um, Gordon's alive. <laughs> 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 because she watched it with the kids quite regularly. Anyway, well, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but I don't know how to follow that. I'm just not going to. I'm just going to pretend you didn't say it. Yes, you've already covered this with Jack, but um, she pointed out that it was a good idea that the actors weren't asked to produce impersonations of the of Edward de Souza and the others, which um, is obviously true, but not just because impersonations would have meant that they would have not been inhabiting the characters. They would have just been concentrating on superficialities. But hmm. it is so difficult... <laughs> That style of acting was not in fashion in 1965. It was already... Mm. <laughs> I'm not saying it was hammy or over the top, but it is, it is big. Quite stagey. And I think what we get... I mean, it's, it's hard enough for these young actors to channel that kind of style, that kind of tone, mm. because that, that RP without... And they, they, they get just enough, just enough, so that they can be those characters while not sounding 2019. Mm. Which you know, which we all do, don't we? None of us winter winter rather. No, I thought it was a I thought it was a fantastic effort by them. And that chap playing um playing Edward de Souza is terrific. What a what a future he's got. He he brings a different a different emotion to it slightly, mm. doesn't he? A different flavour. He's a bit more angsty than de Souza who I think who owned Every conversation he was in in mm. a James Bondy type way. Uh, uh, Marco um, Polo, or, uh, sorry, I forget his name, but Mr. Polo, <laughs> he 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 brought a different energy to it, and I thought that was quite good. I actually thought Lowry was excellent. Yes, mm. the guy playing him, I could see him in the actual 1960s version almost. It was a more nuanced performance because mm. he, his performance actually, I've just 
having watched him in close succession, I really, his performance changes as the story goes on. From the moment he's quite arsy with uh, Mark Corey at the beginning, yes, because of course he is the captain and and he's yeah. giving us he's entitled to give as good as he gets. But then from the moment the Daleks are brought up, he becomes very nervous, and mm. which um, the chap in the original doesn't. So it's a nice extra touch. Fundamentally, what they did presumably was to let these actors listen to the original so they could get a feel for the atmosphere and the general tenor of the acting required, but then hand it over to them and say, interpret these characters, do act them, get inside them. And yeah, we've ended up with, with yeah. the best of both worlds. I'm, I'm just very impressed. So yeah. although I did have daydreams about somebody splicing <laughs> the two versions together, the soundtrack of the original with the new images, apart from the fact that it clearly is impossible, I'm not actually sure it's necessary. We have two versions. Mm. Depends what mood you're in. If you want something really, ow! Sorry, I've just stabbed myself in the finger. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with a vodka thorn. Depends what mood you're in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it. <laughs> so, if, very if, you, if, you, if you start turning into a cactus in a minute, we'll know what's happened. I've, oh dear! Shall I just drop in some random observations? Do things, things, things from the different versions. The the. The thing that stuck out most to me in the cartoon, which is very nice, is the way the Vargas move. The, uh, the animator clearly took a f- one or two liberties, which is always a good idea, like giant macra. The Vargas wander <laughs> around on little... Their, their, their roots are in their little feet, and they mm. look very much... I think I think it's the Triffids from the, the 50s day, oh, yes. the Triffids film, yeah, yeah. I think, is what they've based that on. That's quite charming. Obviously, we wouldn't have got that in the original version. I mean, they're, they're, they're one of the slowest moving monsters, I think, in, in the history of Doctor Who, aren't they? I mean, possibly only the angels, if you keep looking at them, would be slower. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking one of the weaker bit scenes in the new version is when they're, they don't really bring out the tension involved in sidling past a Varga plant as they're trying mm. to escape from the spaceship. It's... Um, well, he almost brushes against it, actually, as he walks past. Yeah. But um, I'm going to say something else nice about the new version. The camera work is, um, I mean, we'll never know, obviously, how faithful it is to the original, no. because because we won't, will we? Of course we won't. But it's... Well, unless... No, sorry, go on. I think, I think it does a good job of, of balancing, keeping to the, um, the strictures that you would have in those days, because the big bulky cameras that barely moved would have created quite a static feel, and they've mostly stuck to that. There's one, there's one moment I noticed um, when Mark Corey shoots Garvey in the back mm-hmm. uh, to save Larry. That's quite nicely done. And I think mm-hmm. it's probably better done than it would have been in the original because they include a little close-up. They cut a little close-up of, of Mark Corey yeah. in the background with his gun getting ready. And I don't think they would have been able to do that with the, with the angles involved in the original. So again, it's cheating slightly, but it's what it's giving us is a version that's a slightly 110% version. It's not got, suddenly I've, got lots of amazing tracking shots or, yeah. or pans and zooms, but it's just making the best, the best possible version of what you could have done in 1965. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the the video work because I've been meditating. I've been meditating on the resources that they had uh, in Preston, and just look at the the breadth of disciplines that those students and staff and postgrads have have mastered to make this happen from the set design to the video work to the editing to the acting to the the sound to the costume design to the model work 
because the 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 Dalek spaceship was done on a model. Um, I'm absolutely blown away by it, and and therefore. Uh, the the breadth of the work done by these millennials <laughs> in in yes it was a piece of academic work uh, but I I'm, I'm just absolutely overwhelmed and touched mm. by the effort that has gone into it I really am I'm blown away by it yeah. um, it's always nice when somebody else connects with you about something obscure that you have an interest in yeah. I, I really want to like Jack said you want to ask many many questions I want to ask the students what the heck they thought they were doing did they think fair enough did they think oh my god what are we doing did they think <laughs> did it yeah. nurture an interest for them could it, did they think it yeah. was boring or painful or embarrassing or great i really want to feel know. like being asked answered dance i don't know do ballet in wellington boots or something you're you're trying to learn yeah. how to how to make yeah. a career for yourself in television but you're being asked to pretend it's 50 years ago take away most of the tools yeah. that you would have if you were producing something for the for the yeah. modern yeah. day but yeah, so I guess the question I would ask is, did did they think when they came out the other end of this project that they'd learned any useful, that being const artificially constrained like that had taught them anything useful? I mean, look, looking at the YouTube making of, I mean, they, they all seem very enthusiastic and quite excited and involved. So I think I think they must have enjoyed the experience. Mm. Uh, as you say, whether, whether it's taught them anything useful, I don't know. Just to round off my praise and, and a realisation that I had is that, they put it together in months. They filmed it in a week. Hmm. But they were up against the 1960s BBC drama department. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. they've done a pretty damn fine job. I could nitpick. Yeah. They've borrowed bits, Daleks from here and there. One of them's a eight inches shorter than the other. You know, his <laughs> little brother, like the two Cybermen in Wheel in Space. Even the, even the BBC did it. So um, <laughs> I, I'm just really, really pleased mm. and proud of them and happy and feel spoken to across across the void by Mr. Holland or uh, sorry I forget his name and and his love for this project and the work that the students have done I'm absolutely bowled over by it I think it's it, it, it's a very moving thing for me I I mm. really I really appreciate it yeah Richard you've watched the the making of documentary perhaps you can answer the question I had the um the music and and background of special effects are very distinctive. Did they have the original recordings of those, or did they have to recreate them? So, as Jack said, it, it was quite a short making of, and, and that's a question I also wondered as I was watching it. it it's not clear. It's not clear if they had to I, scrape scrape it off the existing audio. No, it was all stock. To... It's all stock. Yeah, um, music, I thought, isn't it? So I, I imagine it's, it's far they too went clean. And got clean copies. Yeah, hmm. that would make sense. And the, possibly that background atmosphere is. Yes, I mean it could be one of the few sound cues. It would be original, wouldn't it? They didn't borrow sound effects because they had the mm. radiophonic workshop. And it's one of the most distinctive and persistent yeah. um, backing scores. I mean, it doesn't it stop is. for most of the 25 minutes, does yeah. it? It's amazing. And that's one of the things you associate most closely with 60s it's, Doctor it, Who. It stands out in Doctor Who because normally you're used to the uh, radiophonic workshop stuff or the you know music concrete style of music and like mm. you said this is just sort of uh, traditional melodrama which they didn't do very often did they i mean drops i think no, the, not the web of fear they drop in some stock music don't they famously what? and here and there yeah. it's to the simon stock music but it's a different type isn't it it's not it's not the the old archaic mm. serial type that we're talking no. about here so i mean no. do you think they it's it really just uh, comes in punctuating odd moments and scene changes in music and do you think it's because they had a, a constant backing score of of atmospheric effects so you didn't need music or 
or was vice versa. I thought that was more likely than the idea that they, they added extra background sound effects to cover the lack of music. It's but yeah, they clearly thought the, of the standard jungle effects, and mm. it's all set in a jungle apart from various scenes. So it was all jungle effects, or I think they they turn it down ever so slightly in the new version because it is incredibly loud and and intrusive in the original. Mm. And it's, it, but it's the most um, distinctive thing about this this episode, and it means that whichever version you're watching, you instantly get the same atmosphere because it is one of the strongest things that defines it. Sure. I mean, I I, I would just briefly say, I think I've probably came across in this segment earlier on, but I, I was really excited by the news that it was going to be shown. And then I, I, I greatly enjoyed watching it as well. And yeah, I mean, it, fe it felt like one that I could almost check off the list of, of missing episodes. I mean, yes, as as you've commented, as as, as Jack said uh, as well, you, you know, there's still things that we could learn from seeing the original. But yeah, we've we've seen a very effective telling of the story. You know, that that, that kind of takes some of that interest away from me now for, for to seeing it again. There was a moment when they cut from being inside the ship, explaining that he's with the Secret Service or whatever it is, where they, where they cut back outside and the effects they get on the camera really got under my skin. It just felt like you were watching uh, 1965 mm. Daleks in the Jungle with it, mm. the, the, the grain of the image or, or the darkness of the image. It was really palpable. I, I, I really felt like I was there momentarily and that's quite something to achieve. I, I toyed with the idea that they were trying to recreate some of the 35mm stuff that was done and create a different effect, but I, I talked myself out of it because the Vargas stuff was done on 35mm in Pinewood or wherever they went to do that stuff. But I talked myself out of that. Some lovely touches on the credits. Yeah. Was it Jack who mentioned William Hartnell on there? I don't think or was, did, that but, 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 was that mentioned elsewhere? But William did, Hartnell still gets it, his yeah. credit, but hmm. Raymond Cus uh, Raymond Cusick also also gets um, nice. a credit as well, and I thought that was lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you never quite got. I mean, you, you know, you could tell it, it, it rankled perhaps increasingly as time went on, but uh, but he'd, it's always good to see him get a mention. Yeah, no, I thought that was lovely. Um, there was there, there was one. Uh, if, if I'm going to pick one nit before we go. Uh, I did notice this, there's, a, there's a very visible handprint on the dome of the Black Dalek at one point. Oh, is that what it hand is? Print. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I'm interested to know where that came from because, you know, clearly Mavic Chen hasn't yet turned up. I mean, I don't think that Mark Corey slips in, you know, to the middle of them while they're talking and, 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 and slaps it on the top. So, yeah, we, we were going to have to. Yeah, to that poor that. old Black Dalek prop was a bit of a, a mishmash, wasn't it? But. I'm not worried about it. Can I no, no. can I just pick up on something that you and Jack talked about? Yeah, sure. In that you snidely pointed out the Lancastrian nature of New Malfa's accent. <laughs> Lots of planets have a north. Well, <laughs> in my little note to talk about this, I put, yes, he might be from the north of, of Giron. But three actors played Malfa. Right. The, the I know where you're going with this. The, do you? Don't spoil it for Richard. Oh Richard no, I wouldn't know. dare. But <laughs> but <laughs> the first guy was in Mission to the Unknown. Then Malfa appears again in episode two of Dalek's Master Plan, and I don't think he says anything. He does a bit of table slapping. Um, what a, what a demotion! Slap happy he was. <laughs> I don't. I'm not even sure you see his face apart from in long yeah. shot. But do you know who plays Malfa in episode eleven, Richard? No, I don't. Paul. <laughs> 
It's it's Alf Roberts from Corrie. <laughs> Alf Roberts, Brian Mosley, the big lad <laughs> who is out of shape in Get Carter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw this the other day, and I had to go and I had to go and re-listen to um, episode eleven because he he has more to do in that. And it's Alf Roberts. He could be on Coronation Street. I mean, you he's see, from Leeds. No, knowing that, when I heard when when I first watched this remake and saw the Lancastrian. Malfer. I just assumed that's what they were going for, that it was a tribute to, <laughs> to dear old Alfie. But, yeah. uh, but no, well, unless, unless they were trying to create consistency, ah, maybe, maybe our clever Doctor Who fan producer and director is trying mm-hmm. to create a link between that and episode 11, should that ever yeah. turn up. That's, that's very generous of you to retcon that in. I had, I had been, I had been thinking about doing the same thing myself. So, yeah, I don't know whether to feel sorry for, for Brian Mosley or... or whether that increases his kudos, but um, yeah, that, that's a thing. I will never think about DMP the same way ever again. Mm-hmm. On that bombshell. Yeah, <laughs> are, are, are we are we done now? Are there anything else <laughs> you wanted to say? Well, we we have between us talked about this story for about three times <laughs> its actual length. So you know that's probably a good point at which to bow out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Fantastic. Well, look, th- thanks very much. Uh, that's that's our mission to the unknown special. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as as we seem to have have done making it. And if it's your first uh, listen to something, who there's there's a whole raft of other episodes on our feed, both of of this style of podcast and then our, uh, the predecessor, thirteen cast, where we were looking at series eleven. And looking forward, the end of this month, we'll begin our cycle of reviewing. The Three Doctors, then The Five Doctors, and Day of the Doctor as we head towards the anniversary month of November. Not doing The Two Doctors? Uh, we have not intended to do The Two Doctors, but you never know. Mm. You never know. But we're, we're, I guess we're looking at the anniversary specials across the eras. I understand. Thanks for listening. Please come back soon. And thanks, Tim, and thanks, Paul. Ta-ra! Goodbye! Victory! (laughs) 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 Who am I playing gear on? No, no, it's the ship from Gear On, but it had Malfa on it. It's very complicated, isn't it? I hope we're going to... Oh, no, you've already... No, no, are, are, you sh- are you sure that's the case? Are you sure, are you sure <laughs> the, the ship from Gear On didn't have Gear On on it? No, don't, don't worry. Don't, the, the point is that they, they say, here comes the last ship, the ship from Gear On. Oh, right, And, they, okay. and then when they cut and the control room, they say, up. here comes the last delegate. It's Malfa. Oh, right. So people... It's, it's one it's of almost, many, many tiny details that don't make any sense. But It's almost as if you've just been watching it. And reading other people, what other people have spotted, <laughs> right. as if I'd have spotted that. The children of 1965? 66. Um, 66. 65. 65. Yes. Yes, as I said, 65. Um, yeah. Okay. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Excellently put off. I didn't know you. Were gonna... Right, okay. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Something Who. It's another of our increasingly common special episodes, this time looking at Mission to the Unknown, in the light of the recently released... uh, (laughs) In the light of the recently...
<laughs> okay, I think I was a bit too upbeat to start off with anyway. I'm going to have another crack at that. No, no one's died this time. But... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Something Who. It's another of our increasingly common special episodes. No, our increasingly common <laughs> special. Oh yeah, well, with me and Tim here. It's getting it's increasingly. Oh dear, no. Oh, okay. Last one. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. 